So good to see everyone tonight. So glad that you've joined us this Saturday evening. Good to see everybody. If you could, would you turn to Acts chapter 11? Acts chapter 11. And also, if kiddos, if you haven't already, we've got your activity bags here. We've got Bibles over there, and our communion packs are there as well. So as we get settled, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts, of course, is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to whom? Everyone, everywhere. You may recall in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's a famous verse. Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem. And then he moves out to the region of Judea. Then he crosses some boundaries into the region of Samaria. And then eventually to the ends of the earth. They really do mean everyone, everywhere. And we've seen it here in this middle section of the book of Acts. The good news is on the move. This evening we're going to meet a new church. It's called Antioch. It's a famous church in the book of Acts. We're also going to see the Jerusalem church, the home base of this Christian movement. And they're going to send some folks to Antioch, and we're going to look at the Antioch church. But first, I want to ask, I know we only have a couple kiddos here this evening, but I want to ask another question. Kids, what do you love about church? What do you love about your church? Think about this week. Think about church before we used to wear masks to it. What do you think? Yes, ma'am. What do you love about church? Say it loud. Everything? Mmm, awesome. What else? What do you love about church, kiddos? Yes, ma'am. The songs. All right, Kelly and worship team. Don't we love to worship together? I know that now that we're kind of all together, it's a little bit different, but don't you guys love singing together as families, right? What else? What are some other things you love about church? Things we do. Lucy, yes, ma'am. The events. Rock and roll. We've had a big couple weeks here. Last week was Rock and Summer. Raise your hand if you love Rock and Summer. Adults too. Right on. Next week we have Overflow for our students. Then coming up not too long after that is VBS. Woo! I love it. How about your friends? Do you love your friends in church and in your neighborhood group and all of this? Yes, we love church. So now adults. Let's think a little more serious about church. What do you think, and it doesn't just have to be this one, what do you think a healthy church looks like? Those are the things that kids love. They love to be a part of this community. What do you think a healthy church looks like? A family, loving others. What else? Taking care of each other. What else? Being engaged. Jesus-centered. Love it. Prayerful. I love that. What else? A few more things. This is all wonderful. Giving. Serving the community. Well, this is going to be a fun sermon because it's about all of those things that you just mentioned. So great job. We're going to see glimpses of all of these little things in this one little church, in this one little section of the book of Acts. What does a healthy church look like? The short answer is this. It looks like Jesus. In the New Testament, they begin to talk about the church as the body of Christ, so the church ought to look like Jesus, amen? 
to serve like, love like? The long answer that we'll see this evening also looks like Jesus, but we'll drill down to five things in our time together. A healthy church does at least these five things. You ready? It gospels. It disciples. That's the verb. It images. It listens. And it gives. We see glimpses of all these and more in the Antioch church. And the question is, I hope and pray we see it glimpsed in the neighborhood church. Amen? Well, thank you. And if there are some places that we are hearing this evening in which we need to focus our attention and time, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us a new imagination and a new energy to shore up where we're lacking and to see in this community some 2,000 years later the glimpses we saw at a church in the town called Antioch. Let's look in Acts chapter 11 beginning in verse 19. Let's pick up our story in the book of Acts as we hear and see these glimpses of what a healthy church looks like and wonder together how it might work here in Garland. Verse 19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, that was a while ago, like chapter 8, they got spread like dust to the wind. But they started to travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Hmm. Spreading the word, that would be the good news, only among the Jews. Remember, this is a Jewish movement. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now pause. You may remember in the last two weeks and. um Acts 10, and then last week in Acts 11, we see this boundary-crossing, boundary-breaking bridge that welcomes Gentiles. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. First to the who? The Jews, then to the Gentiles. This is this movement. And these guys just said, oh, you'll listen? Cool, let me tell you about Jesus too. Let's pick up our story. Verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. Which tells me we need to pay attention to what God is repeatedly doing. Moving the good news beyond our ethnic, cultural boundaries. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. We had one Gentile family in Acts chapter 10, and now we have a multi-ethnic, multicultural movement. A lot of folks brought to the Lord. All right, now we're going to run with it. I'll talk about the rest later. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. We've met Barnabas before. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Again, 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 something about the faithfulness of these men and women are drawing people into this kingdom family. Verse 25 Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for his old friend Saul, who will soon be known as Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples, listen, were called Christians first at Antioch. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Again, this movement from a home base in Jerusalem all the way out to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Luke, who wrote this story, tells us. Verse 29. And the disciples, as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul, and we will pick up their story sometime later. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. Two quick notes before we dive into these five glimpses of what a healthy church looks like in this story in Antioch. Two quick notes. The first is this. We might share common fruit but we're not a carbon copy. You may hear about raising money and sending it to other people in other places and think, oh yeah, we do that. You might hear about kind of trying to cross boundaries and to reach out to the marginalized or to the different ones, and you might say, oh yeah, we do that. You might hear about teaching and discipleship and think, oh yeah, we do that. We share a common fruit, but there's something very important about churches, and that is this. We aren't carbon copies. We were talking to some friends this week at church about other people that go to a different church, and we just laughed and said, you know what? God bless them. I don't think they would dig our church, and that's okay, because there are many members of the body, and different people have different ways that God reaches out to them with different communities. We're all the same family. And sometimes Uncle Remus over there looks a bit different and has a few different quirks. And maybe we're the Uncle Remus, Kelly. We're not all carbon copies of one another, but it's the same family and we all share common fruit. Do you know that there is no place in Corinth or Thessalonica or Antioch that they can really say definitively, this is the first church of Antioch that still is in existence today? Because a church is a living organism of people in a particular time, in a particular place, for a particular mission. So take a deep breath and know that we are who we are. And it is who the Spirit is making of us. We're not a carbon copy. We're to be who we're called to be. Second quick note. We might not be perfect, but we can be faithful. I love, to paraphrase, the late, great Eugene Peterson. He says, often when you look at a church... When you open the doors in any church in America or across the world, you'll see people kind of gossiping. You'll see Sunday school that really care about what color the carpet is, and they're going to run this pastor out of town if he doesn't do their songs and paint this room a certain way. You're going to see people that say one thing on Sunday and live another way on a Monday. You're going to see all different kinds of people not getting it quite right. But if you look hard enough, you know what else you'll see? Christ. Christ in the preaching. Christ in the meeting. Christ in the praying. Christ in the failing. Picking us up and forming us into His image. There are no perfect churches, but we can be faithful and Trust that the Spirit is within us and Christ is still forming us. Amen? 
So lest you think, okay, let's read these places in Acts like we have in Acts chapter 2. And all these idealized versions know that they fought too. Know that they struggled too. Know that for every boundary they crossed, there was a few people that would take a step back again. We're human after all, but Christ is in our midst. So if there's a day that you venture on to a new place and a new path in your journey that's not the neighborhood church, we love you, God bless you, and you're going to find that that place isn't perfect either. But as long as we're together, we're going to try to be faithful. And here are at least five things we see in Antioch that are glimpses of what a faithful, healthy church looks like. The first thing, a healthy church gospels. I'm using that as a verb. They gospel, which is to declare and demonstrate the good news of Jesus. These guys were on the move after a persecution, indiscriminately announcing good news. Do you notice they're talking about preaching the word? Because at some point... You've got to announce that Jesus is Lord. This is the message. It's news to be shared. They go around gospeling. They enact and live the reality of the kingdom. That's what we mean demonstrating it. They're loving their neighbors. They're caring for the poor. They're reaching out to the marginalized and the least. But at some point, somebody looks up at them and says, why are you doing this? How did you heal us? Why did you give that And you say, because there is a king and a kingdom that is far better than anything you can find on the face of the earth. It's transformed my life. I've found forgiveness and freedom from sin and shame and even death. At some point, you don't just demonstrate the good news, you declare it. Which is why at places today, like at the clothes closet, relationships and prayer and pointing to Jesus matter just as much and more than the socks, toiletries, and t-shirts. When those things are hand in hand, transformation happens, and you can trust that the Lord's hand is with us just as it was with them. Well, what is the gospel? We talked about this a few weeks ago. The gospel in one word is Jesus. The gospel in three words is Jesus is Lord. And the gospel in, uh, I don't know how many words, you can count them, it's on the screen. A summary of the gospel that's a little longer could be this. You ready? The good news that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And all people are invited to live in God's kingdom, filled with God's spirit, free from sin and death. The subject is Jesus. The story is his life, death, and resurrection to which all scripture is pointing And the aftermath is that we're free from sin, death, and evil, and we're filled with God's life. God has said yes to you, and when we give our life to him, he gives his life to us. At some point, we've got to invite others to say yes. I know there's a stigma sometimes in churches to where you don't want to, um, like, twist arms and manipulate And I say yes and amen to that because that doesn't provide and produce the kind of lasting fruit of making disciples. But at some point at the rock or at the coffee shop or in your living room or neighborhood group, at some point I want our church to be a healthy church that gospels and says, you know what, at some point there's a yes here. God is inviting you into life and repentance and forgiveness. And at some point, are you going to say yes? 
And until that day, I'm going to love you and walk with you. But at some point, there is a crossing over from death to life. A healthy church gospels declaring and demonstrating the good news of Jesus. And we see that in that first section of the story. Wherever they went, telling good news. Second thing a healthy church does is disciples. That's a verb also. They disciple others. I like this little phrase here. Disciples form the church, and the church forms disciples. You with me on this? I believe the man's name is Neil Cole. He's a contemporary writer of mission and missiology. And he said, a church is only as good as her disciples. Because what is a church? It's not the building. We don't even own a building. The church is formed by disciples. And the church forms disciples. This is not just a diverse supper club that we see in Acts chapter 11 that have an affinity for Jesus and his teaching. And so they're going to eat together, sing some songs, and have a grand old time. Jerusalem heard about this. Jerusalem is where the disciples of Jesus, the original 11, and then some, the 12, when they replaced him in Acts chapter 1. So they want to go and do a quality check. You know what I'm saying? I have the Domino's uh, pizza tracker on my phone, and we've ordered pizza because we're in the process of moving a few times the last couple weeks, and they move from like step to step, and then it's like baking, and then it's quality check, and then it's ready, and I'm like, no offense, Stephen S. from Domino's app, isn't it just like out of the oven, boxed and ready? Is he really examining this thing and say, yeah, that really is just left jalapenos. Oh, we got a stray beef over there on the right. We need to rebake it. This kind of quality check is a lot more serious than the Domino's app tracker. I just thought I'd try that out. I was thinking of it and didn't tell anybody else about it this week. And I wrote this quality check down in my notes and it was stuck in my head until I got it out for you guys. Leave that, take the rest, let's move on. (laughs) Barnabas comes to provide a much more thorough quality check. And I love this because this is what's been happening this whole section. Remember we talked about our hands? Barnabas shows up just like Peter had to explain himself to the Jerusalem church. Yeah, these Gentiles really did receive the Holy Spirit. He held out one hand and said, I can see this rooted in the Word of God, in Scriptures and in the example of Jesus, the Word of God. And then on the other side, the people look around and say, yeah, that fruit checks out. So those two hands clap together in the discerning power of prayer. Barnabas, I love what it said in Acts chapter 11, if you're still looking at it. He saw it. Can people walk into our gatherings in our clothes closet and, Lord willing, the neighborhood table next Friday that our students will help as a backyard barbecue at the rock. Can they walk in and see the quality check and says, this looks and smells and tastes like the kingdom of God. Barnabas could see it in Antioch, and I wonder, could our neighbors see it in Garland? Ouch. I sure hope so. This is not just a diverse supper club eating and singing. This 
is new life that's been planted and it's sprouting. And Barnabas saw enough, but he also saw that they needed some more cultivating and growing. So who did he go and get? You remember? He got Saul. Saul, who's been laying low for a little while. Barnabas, I love this. Barnabas, man, is vouching for Saul before, and he's going to vouch for Saul again. He says, you know what? There's this dude in Tarsus named Saul, and this man knows how to teach, let me tell you. I'm going to go get Saul, and he's going to come back. And could you imagine having a master class on the Jesus way with Saul for one year within this thriving, multicultural community? Saul teaches them for a year because, listen, before you live like Jesus, you have to learn it. Before you live the Jesus way, you have to learn it. Which is why our third core practice in the neighborhood church is a paraphrase from Dallas Willard. We're talking about growing disciples. And we say we commit to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. Y'all know I'm a big fan of the NBA. Oh, man. We got an amen from my nine-year-old. And a lot of times I try to talk with other folks about basketball, what's going on, it's the playoffs and this, and I just kind of think at some point I can tell you about my favorite players, I can tell you about my favorite kinds of games and the style of how people play, but I wonder if someone asked me, what's your favorite miracle of Jesus? What was your favorite healing? Can you name as much of his teaching as you can the Mavericks roster? I wonder about this with our students and some of our, um, even adults. Do we really know the way of Jesus? Or better, do we know Jesus? To be with him is to spend time in the Bible. To be with him is to spend time in prayer, in sitting, in stillness. To allow ourselves to be acted upon so that we might be transformed. And when we give ourselves to this, we learn from him how to go and live it. And the reason why to back up to this church portion is that disciples form the church and the church forms disciples. When you look at the teachings of the New Testament, how many one another's do you see? A lot or a little? So it tells me that you probably need some one another's in your life. If I want to learn how to forgive one another, I need one another's. If I want to learn how to bear with one another, I need to have one another's. That's why the church forms disciples, and the disciples form the church. Think about that before we move on. What can you list that you know that Jesus explicitly taught? What was the favorite question that Jesus asked? What was your favorite interaction or the way you imagine he dealt with people Be with Jesus and learn from Jesus. Then you'll go and live like Jesus. Which leads us to the third mark of the healthy church. After Saul's master class for a year, training up these new churches, we see that a healthy church images. I know that sounds weird and I'm kind of cheating because I have five words and these are all kind of verbs. But I love this word. Because what I'm getting at is we earn and wear the nickname of our namesake. They were first called what at Antioch? Christians. Do you think that they were called the church before in the book of Acts? Yes or no? 
They were called the church elsewhere, but they were first called Christians in Antioch. They're bearing the name Christ. What's the Old Testament Hebrew word that Christ is a translation of? Do you know offhand? No? It's Messiah. Messiah means the anointed king, and the Greek translation of Messiah is Christ. So these people in the neighborhood saw these strange Christians, and they said, yeah, they're so weird we got to make up a word for them. And they called him Christ, the king. Well, you sure are the king's people, all right. You are Christians. You nor Christians. You are the king's people. Nora was probably four months old, right, Amy, when we went to Galveston with our two little, chunky, beautiful, red-headed babies. And we went and stayed in an Airbnb, and we had a pack-and-play in our room, and four-month-old Nora was sleeping in a pack-and-play, and she was little enough that it was kind of elevated up. If you don't know what a pack-and-play is, it's just a portable crib, and you can raise up the bed to where it's not this low, it's about this high. So it's kind of a raised platform. A little four-month-old Nora sitting there in that Airbnb in Galveston, and it's a little hot and humid like it is in here. So just think beach vibes right now. And I think it was like midnight. We're starting to kind of settle down. Amy and I are trying to get to sleep, and all of a sudden we just hear thump. So we think, oh, our four-month-old has just rolled out of the pack and play, and now this is our life. She's just fallen out of the crib. Awesome. No, we go over and we look, and she's laid perfectly still asleep from the waist up. She has both of her legs just up to down, up, down. And down, down. And she's slamming her legs back and forth. And she did not stop all night. And we just thought, oh, this is our life now. She's Thumper. And we called her Thumper because the next night she did it again. Just slamming her legs down in her sleep. And so Nora was Thumper. Until she wasn't. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was the sea breeze and the beach air. I don't think she thumped ever again except for those three nights that we were in Galveston. So guess what? We don't call her thumper anymore because it didn't take. And I just wonder, there was something about this church that even though that name, Christian, was kind of derogatory and dismissive, There was something that stuck. There was something that they took it and they owned it and they were like, yeah, that's right. We are the king's people. What was a derogatory word becomes worn with pride. Nora doesn't thump anymore. And I wonder if Christians still resemble the king. Or is Christian a derogatory word now in our culture and community? Perhaps we need to reclaim our namesake and earn and wear the nickname. 
The reason I use that word images is because in the very beginning in Genesis, we were made in the image of God. There is something deep down within every human being on the planet that bears the image, the look of our creator. We even talked about this a little bit at Rock and Summer, that there's an image imprinted within us. And I just wonder if we are to bear not just the image of God and that he made us to reflect him and to look like him, to resemble the family, but are we wearing and earning the nickname, the image of Christ in our community? A healthy church does. The fourth thing that a healthy church does is listens. We pay attention to God and respond appropriately. I hope that that's becoming a mantra in your life. That's a paraphrase again of Eugene Peterson. I mentioned him earlier. We pay attention to God and respond appropriately. This is what happens when a prophet, a few of them were sent from Jerusalem. Y'all remember his name? Agabus. That's a pretty prophet sounding name, right? And whether you're in the Old Testament or your New Testament acts Agabus, what a prophet does is listen to God and speak a word to the people. Let me just have New Testament scholar Willie James Jennings describe it even more. This is what he says. A prophet named Agabus does what a prophet is supposed to do. I love this. Speak by the Spirit of where the church must be active and in what the church must be involved. In this case, famine relief and care for the suffering. Now dig this, you ready? The Spirit always brings to the church specific knowledge of the world and the specific sites of divine concern. A church that knows not the particular needs of its time and place is a church that has not heard the Spirit speaking. Wow. Throughout the church's history, the healthiest churches see crisis becoming an opportunity to extend God's love and blessing to our neighbors. In Antioch, we see crisis becoming an opportunity, and it's this risky shift that we see That is that move from how will I survive to how can I help those who are worse off. Just think about the last year. Think about the winter storm and how many of you were calling and texting and reaching out and wondering, did you have power? Did you? Oh, you did. Okay. Did you need anything? Did you need any water? Did you need this? Did you need that? How about in your neighborhood? Somebody's water. Did you bring over buckets? Think about... In COVID, think about how we're to navigate this new and strange world. Think about the racial reckoning that was to reaching a boiling point a year ago this month. Healthy churches take crisis and see it as an opportunity to extend God's love and blessing. It's that risky move from how will I survive to, wait a minute, how can I help those worse off? That is a move of the Spirit, bringing specific sites of divine concern to His people. So how do you do that if you're not a prophet named Agabus? I would just offer you this simply. Honor 
every kingdom impulse. Honor every kingdom impulse. I think a healthy church gives. And another way to say that, honoring every kingdom impulse, this is the fifth thing, is that we are a channel, not a bucket. Honoring the kingdom impulse to share beyond ourselves. Is our God generous or is our God greedy and stingy? Do we live in a universe founded on the loving Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that gives freely of himself to the world out of abundance or out of scarcity? So even when we see a famine like they did that could have been referenced in 1 Corinthians and Galatians, that was the pandemic COVID of their time. And yet, they were honoring the kingdom impulse to share beyond themselves. A bucket says, this is mine and no one else's. A channel says, I'll have this water coming through, but I'm sending some of it else down to the next person. Because what I've been given is not just for me to keep. A healthy church gives. And I love that in the text, Luke says, each gave according to their ability. And I think that that needs to be reclaimed in our church, especially coming out of such a wild and financially difficult year of 2020. Understand that the Old Testament principle is out of a tithe, and that's a percentage. Do you remember what the tithe percentage is in the Old Testament? It's 10%. That's an Old Testament principle. That was so that the priests that worked the temple could eat and live. In the New Testament, that's not explicitly repeated, 10%. It's actually worse. (laughs) Especially in 2 Corinthians 8, he talks about giving generously and sacrificially. And also in Acts 11, he says, according to their ability. 2 Corinthians 8, he says, give whatever the Spirit has put on your heart. Honor the kingdom impulse. And so if you hear in the evangelical circle 10%, and by the way, a lot of us, I use 10% as a baseline, as a guide, because that seems to be a good Old Testament principle. Why not carry it through? Because it's helped me disciple our family and ourselves to say, money shouldn't own me. We should help channel this so it doesn't become the ultimate. Now we need money and resources, but I think if 10% freaks you out, take a step of faith that looks like 1%, 2%, 3%. If it's more than 0%, see what God does when you start caring for the poor in our midst See what God does when you start giving to this church because one of the beautiful things about the neighborhood church is that like this church in Antioch, we gather up a good bit of our resources and we send it beyond ourselves as a channel, not a bucket. Although, uh, Bud, make note, we need to channel some of this money to the AC here in this building. I love this phrase, as each were able... I love in 2 Corinthians 8, as the Spirit laid on your heart, we give 
because we love Jesus and his mission. And there are people that just don't have enough. And the church is God's program to bring equity and justice where there is lack. There are too many rich Christians in an age of hunger. There are too many millionaires and billionaires that claim Christ and deny the needs of the poor. And a healthy church gives beyond itself because God gave out of his heart the one son that he had. So what does it look like for us? I want to close with a bit of reflection. In real time, I want you to think just for a moment, just chill for a minute as we wind down. Think about this church, your journey. Or maybe think about the church that formed you if you grew up in a church community. Can you think back in a time of your life of some person that helped you? Can you think about somebody that shared the good news with you? Who discipled you? Who's discipling you? Who are you seeing week in without living life together and you're discipling? How about this? Are we imaging Christ in our family of origin? Is there somebody in your circles that would peg you and nickname you Christian? You're one of them king people coming to church on Saturday evening, serving at the clothes closet and sweating your heinies off at Rockin' Summer. I just remember we still had kids in this room. Think about the church that listened, that spoke a word of wisdom to you, that imparted something to you, almost prophetic in nature. Think about how you've received the blessing through the church. I think about our Tijuana trip. I think about how we gospeled and we partnered with a wonderful church, Iglesia Ancla, and we were demonstrating the gospel on the streets with women working the streets at night, men desperate for a meal in the shelters, as much as we were praying and speaking and declaring good news to those waiting outside of hospitals. I think about how we listen to our brothers and sisters across the border who are imparting to us life and wisdom of a church that's living it. I think about how they gave us so much in their hospitality and their goodness. And I hope by God's grace we gave them a bit of encouragement in return. Think about the stories in our church too. El Paso. Closed closet. The neighborhood table, those Friday nights before we shut down our sweet memories, I will take with me the rest of my life in ministry seeing people eating together and sharing Jesus stories. What else? Take a moment to reflect on that for you and understand this as I close. When it comes to this church, on this summer Saturday with people traveling and people here and people there, know that God has given us everything we need to do what God has asked of us. You may look around and say, it's a little bit of a light crowd, you may look at Acts 11 and say, Antioch, boy, that sounds pretty wild. But uh, know this, that everything that God has asked, he has given. 
Everything that God has asked this church to do, he's given us the resources to do it. It's a matter of being faithful to follow him. Church, you've raised more money than any other church our size I've ever seen or heard of. When there's a need, you meet it. My grandpa here loves to say this little old church and he's amazed at every Lent campaign and Advent campaign. And church, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we heard this week of a woman in our midst that's not here this evening, and she may not even see or hear this, so I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you, we heard news yesterday officially that she got an apartment from Dallas Housing from another friend of our church that used to belong here that works with the city of Dallas. She's been living without power since October. She's been living without water since February. The temperatures are rising, and God provided a place for her. We toured it a couple weeks ago, got the paperwork, and this woman that used to belong to our church, Robin Craddock, just doing amazing work in the city of Dallas, housing homeless people. She said, right now she has no income coming in, and she pulled us aside, and she said, look, so rent is $50, a month. She goes, I don't know, except I do know that if you went before the neighborhood church and said, can we pay her rent for a year and raise $600 that we could do this, right? And I didn't have to consult Pastor Bud. I didn't have to consult all you. I looked at Rob and I said, of course, absolutely. We'll do it in two weeks because I know you. I know this church And I know that we have significant relationships here and there and beyond. And that is something that is healthy and beautiful and vibrant. And it doesn't matter if there's 700 people or 70. What matters is that God has called us to work and to be on mission together. And he's given us what we need to do it. Amen. God, we're so grateful for this opportunity to gather together to lift high your name, to hear stories of your goodness and love and mercy, of health, of mission, of gospel and good news. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear ways in which we can be more in tune with you and on mission for your good. We pray, Lord, that in this time of reflection and communion, we would reflect upon Jesus and that we would bear his name again in our midst, in our community, in our families, that we would be present to his presence at the table together. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Go forth as God's beloved children, because God's love surrounds us and will never forsake us. Go in the knowledge of God's comfort and protection, because God's strength empowers us to be who he has created us to be. Go in peace to love and serve God and neighbor.